0: Right, so continuing on with the epistles of Peter, we are now in 2 Peter and chapter 1. And it says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And right here in his opening statement, he does a great job of showing the source of our righteousness. We have a... As believers, we have a righteous standing with God. And there is no doubt, the teaching is all over the Bible, that our righteousness that we are credited with is Jesus' righteousness. And that's the only reason any of us are saved. If uh, uh, If we were judged according to our merits, according to our righteousness, we would all be cast in hell. Everybody here knows this, okay? And so, and I think this church... They know this very well. And so just kind of in his greeting, he just makes a statement, just kind of reminding uh, them of the fact they have a righteous standing in Christ because Jesus is righteous. Uh, and that, so the righteousness we have, it's Christ's righteousness, not ours. And so verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. The more we learn about Jesus the more secure we should feel in our salvation. You know, after after you get saved, you know, a person can get saved, I believe knowing very little theology. I don't think you have to go take a ton of classes to figure out how to get saved. But uh, we see people getting saved pretty quick in the Bible. But if you are around good teaching, you are going to grow in that faith. You're going to have greater peace as time goes on The more you learn about salvation, assuming, you know, you're hearing from somebody who preaches the truth. Now, sadly, some people, when they get saved, they go to bad churches and they get real confused on doctrine. And that's a very sad thing. It's a huge disservice that people do. It's sad that preachers in an attempt to just try to control people and get them to do what they want them to do. It's like they take away their security. And what a shame that is when that type of thing happens. But the, the truth is, if the more you learn the less peace you have when it comes to your salvation, you're probably in a bad church. You're probably being taught wrong. Being taught the Bible, learning things about salvation should just give you more confidence, should make you even more secure. So verse 3 says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these things, ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, my big challenge tonight, I've already got next week's sermon prepared. There's a tough passage next week and I got to try to not preach next week's sermon. I need everybody to remember everything I say tonight and everything I talk about tonight. Okay. Cause it's really going to help you next week. And I don't want to have to preach chapter one again, but notice what he calls this here when he talks about, um, he mentions that we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped corruption that is in the world through lust. So while God has given us all things needed for salvation, God wants us after we get saved, we are supposed to make that choice every day. To put on that new man and to live according to the spirit. That is something that we have to make a conscious effort to do to live and to walk in the spirit. If we walk in the spirit, the Bible says, Paul taught, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But if you walk according to the flesh, then you are going to do a lot of sinning. And God does not want us doing that. God and and. It is just over and over and over again in Paul's epistles. And and this is pretty much what all of 1 and 2 Peter is all about. is telling, save people, don't forget, live godly. Don't forget, be a good Christian. Don't be like the world. Don't live according to your flesh. You want to know why the world lives the way they do? It's not necessarily because of some teaching that's out there. It's not because of just some new age thinking or false religion or they do the things that they do because it's what their flesh wants to do. They're just living according to the flesh. Now, yes, there's false religions that cater to that. And we'll talk about that when we get to chapter three. So, but at the same time, the real source of their problem is this stuff right here that's why people do the junk that they do and when you get saved you god gives you his spirit but we still have this flesh and if we do not yield to the spirit we will just naturally yield to this stuff and we're going to get in all kinds of trouble and if you do that you will not be fruitful as a christian you're you're not going to please god doing that so we are constantly told this and it's it's very important you remember all this it's going to come in real handy Next week, but uh, so he mentions that divine nature we've escaped. So, uh, I need to take some time to explain a very important concept that we see in the Bible. And there's a lot of misunderstanding around this. Because the Bible does teach the concept of Christians turning from sin, ceasing from sin. But the important question is, what does that mean? Okay, and the title tonight is just kind of to trigger all of you. It's the importance of repenting of sins. Okay, and folks, it is so important to repent of your sins. It is so important to repent of your sins. But the thing is, there's so much bad teaching on salvation surrounding this idea of repenting of sins that what we what we're kind of doing, and what what happens on that side, okay, on the you have to repent of your sins to be saved side, they straw man. Our side so much. And you know what? We do it right back to them all the time. And it just creates mass confusion all around. You want to know what... And Maybe it's like this in other religions. I only know the IFB. But you know, when I look at the IFB and doctrinal discussions, you know what I see? Pardon me for using a carnal illustration. Do you remember all the flying monkeys when they were attacking the scarecrow on Wizard of Oz? That's what a doctrinal discussion looks like. It's a bunch of flying monkeys doing the bidding of some witch somewhere... And they're just attacking straw men uh, that's pretty much what it is now you know you don't accomplish anything doing that they ripped the stuffing out of scarecrow and he was still alive they just put him right back together okay it, it did it didn't do anything to finish him off and we don't we don't eliminate false doctrine we don't change anybody's mind when we straw man when, when we attack straw men it doesn't do anything it doesn't accomplish anything but often well, the other, uh, you know, the heretics, they come at us with this bad, false reasoning. And then what we end up doing, because we know they're bad, we end up kind of throwing it right back at them. And then we just end up confusing people too. And we don't want to, we don't want to do that. Now, remember when we talked about this, when we were in chapter four, look, look back at first Peter chapter four, what it says here, because it says for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh arm yourselves likewise with the same mind for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. We are supposed to cease from sin. Okay. I would call that repenting of sin. Now, what is it that people will always like to do? You can't repent of all your sins. You know, And Okay. If you mean never sin again, then yes, none of us can repent of all of our sins. But if we mean what Peter meant here, if we meant what many times other people mean when they say that, it means just changing your lifestyle, going from a life devoted to pleasing the flesh to a life now devoted to pleasing God. That's really what it is. Okay. Now, obviously, we need to be very careful using that term because there's so much bad associated with it. But if somebody says that in relation to, well, I'm repenting of my sins, meaning I'm done living for Tommy McMurtry and I'm now going to devote my life to living for God. You know, we all should do that. And that our world, they're living every day for self. They're living every day with this, you only live once attitude. Get all that you can get for yourself out of it. But you know what? When you get saved... You need to make a choice that, you know what, I'm done pursuing those desires of my flesh and I'm going to pursue the will of God. And if you want to call that repenting of sins, ceasing from sins, uh, that's fine. Okay. Now, you didn't get saved because all of a sudden you made that choice. You are already saved when you believed on Christ, but you do need to make that choice. So the thing is, when we're telling people you can't repent of sins, well, you know, what do you mean by that? You know, we, we've got to be very clear on how we explain these things. We do see it in Galatians 2.15 where Paul said, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Paul, when he said that we're not sinners, he wasn't saying we've never committed any sins in this sense. But Jews, they did not live according to the lust of the flesh. They did have a law. They did have works. Now, one of their sins that they didn't repent of was they got lifted up with pride because of all the things that they weren't doing. They thought they were really good because of all the things that they were doing. But you can't necessarily say that these people who were abstaining from all these meats, who were doing all these washings and all these ceremonial things, they weren't just living according to the flesh like the Gentiles were. They were just as lost. They were guilty of being a sinner because of the fact that They had transgressed God's law, but they did have a different way. And Paul referred to, when he made the the reference to the Gentiles being sinners, he meant in the sense that they've given their life. Their life is devoted for the things of the flesh. But Jews, that typically wasn't how things worked for them. So the thing is, you know, you can't just go and take that verse and then teach Jews weren't sinners. In the sense of they never had any, transgressions against God. Well, do we all understand that? Well, I'm just looking at what Paul said right there. I know what he said right there, but what did he mean with what he said right there? And that's very important. We get the context. 1 John 3, 9. Let's, this passage might be a little controversial, uh, but, and I don't have time to expound on this a whole lot, but 1 John 3, 9 says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God in this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Okay? Now, so there's a lot of, I, I think one of the reasons we have so much confusion on passages like this is because often too, we're responding to I mean bona fide heretics, you know, like the Ray comforts that are out there who's always going around telling people, you know, he, he does that routine where he goes and he asks people, have you ever told a lie before? You know, oh, yeah, well, that makes you a liar, right? And in the sense of I've broken God's law and I am guilty of breaking God's law. Yes, that does do that. Right. But you know, here's, here's the bad thing about that method that illustration that causes us to on, kind of on our side to sometimes do some of the same bad reasoning. All right. Cause if Ray comfort was consistent and you know, then one would have to not only commit to never lying again, but they would have to follow through with that commitment, wouldn't they? And obviously that's not going to, you know, nobody's going to be able to do that. And somebody committing to never sinning again and succeeding that for sure would be a work salvation or at least a works based justification on your personal works. Right? So one thing that we said, and what often when guys like Ray Comfort teach that foolishness, when he uses, flaw, when they use, he uses flawed reasoning, we don't want to use the same foolishness and the same flawed reasoning in how we present things and in, and in a way to try to debunk what he's teaching. Okay. And so, to illustrate the foolishness of what he's doing, and this idea of just going around telling everybody, you know, you've done this one thing, therefore you're this. Let me show you why that's foolish, alright? So, how many in here have ever, at any point in your life, done any type of plumbing work? Okay, several hands go up. Well, you know what that makes you then? A plumber. I mean, doesn't that reasoning work? I mean, if you've told one lie, you're a liar. If you've done one bit of plumbing work, that makes you a plumber, doesn't it? So if somebody asks, "I'm a plumber," yeah, I'm a plumber. You know, well, you have to be licensed. Okay, well, maybe we have to be licensed to be a sinner then too, right? You know, where's your license card on that, right? No, I'm, I'm just kidding there. But you all understand that you know, just because you do some plumbing work one time, that doesn't really make you a plumber. Okay, that that's so. That doesn't completely work, all right. Now, so, and before you freak out about my interpretation of First John three, because what I believe he's doing here in First John three is when he's talking about not sinning. I don't believe he's using the term there in the sense of violating any of God's laws. I think he is saying that in relation to the very things he's been talking about, and that is denying Christ. Which wouldn't we just all assume somebody who denies Christ is not saved? If they are committing that sin, if they are hating their brother, and not just they got mad at him, I mean, they hate their brother and they want him dead. If we had some people out there who said they were Christians and they were trying to get us killed, would you all get mad at me if I said, I don't think those people are saved? (laughs) Oh, that's works-based salvation. You're saying the way for people to get to heaven is they've got to love us. No, that's not what I'm saying. But you know what? I'm thinking when people are hating on us, because, and it's specifically because of what we believe, because of what we're teaching about Christ. They want to kill us because of that? That's a pretty bad sin. And I, believe if, I don't believe a saved person would sin in the sense of doing those things that we've been talking about, denying Christ and hating on the brother, specifically for teaching that Jesus is a Christ. I believe that that's what he's, he's doing here. And so, uh, uh, you know, so, you know, we would, cause we would not identify whether somebody is saved or unsaved just because they committed any sin. Okay. But we definitely would, if they were committing the sin of denying Christ, hating on their brother. And, and maybe that's what, and I don't know this for sure, but i often wonder, maybe that's what sin unto death means. When he talks about the sins unto death in chapter five, that these are sins that if somebody's committing those, we would say they're on their way to hell. Okay, but there are, there, he says there is a sin that's not unto death. You know, there are some sins, you know, somebody loses their temper, I think you can still go to heaven. I think you're, I'll still think you're on your way to heaven. I'll just think you just stepped in the old man for a little bit. Okay. I wouldn't call that a sin unto death, but, you know, denying Christ, hating your brother, for sure I would. And so, um, again, because, you know, would it be right for me to say I am, a, like, Would it be right for me to say I'm a plumber if I used to be a plumber? I mean, again, according to the Ray Comfort reasoning, if you've done it before, I mean, how many of you ladies in here, ladies and men, how many of you have ever unclogged a drain before? Well, do you all realize that's something plumbers do sometimes? So you're all plumbers too. you know? Because, I mean, hey, if transgressing any law of God makes you a sinner, across the board, you know, then it's the same thing too, with if you've done any type of plumbing work before, then you're all plumber. Even if it was just one time and you've never done it again, you're still a plumber. Y'all you, you see how that's just kind of dumb reasoning right there. And so understand this, this being a sinner. Okay. There's context to it. I will always be a sinner until I have my glorified body. When we're talking about in the sense of I do break some of God's you know, laws sometimes we all mess up every day. I will always be a sinner in that sense until Jesus Christ comes back. But uh, I you will know, we'll, we'll always be sinners in the sense of our standing before a holy God and coming short of the glory of God. But sometimes in the Bible. When it's talking about sinners, it's in, their, it's in the context of their standing with the church. Or their standing of a certain position that they currently hold, or how they are living their lives at that time in relation to who and what they are a part of. Okay, now turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Hey, okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, we know this passage, verse 9, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abuses of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, meaning past tense, but ye are washed. Okay. So the thing is, if we get washed from those things, are are we now not those things anymore? Okay. Now, if we're going to take the Ray Comfort, you know, stuff to the extreme and, you know, and be consistent on that, then, then yes. I mean, if you've done it one time, you're still, no, we got washed from that. We got cleansed from that. We are not, it is possible for us to go from being something bad that we are guilty of and not being it anymore. Assuming we're not doing that anymore. Okay. You know, some people used to be thieves and they quit stealing. Yes. They're a thief in the sense they've done it before and they violated God's law. But you know what? We shouldn't call them a thief if they have repented of it and they're not done it. I mean, do we really want to just keep holding everybody's sins over their head if you've ever committed any of these big sins and we're just constantly, we keep you labeled as that? and you know, Because you know we're supposed to throw an altars out of the church. So what if you've done that before? Well, see, we, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you're not doing it anymore, then guess what? You aren't one anymore. And we, for, and we forget that. And, we, and we've got to remember that. So sometimes when it's talking about being a sinner, it's in the sense that right now they are in violation of something specific when it comes to uh, their position. For example, in 1 Timothy 3, you know, we have the qualifications of a bishop. In 1 uh, Timothy chapter 5, when he's talking about, you know, and against the elder receive not an accusation, we're not going to go into all that passage. But when he gets to verse 20, he says, them that sin rebuke before all that others may see in fear. And then, you know, people are, "Oh, I mean, do we really think we got to get up and rebuke a pastor every time he commits a sin? Well, that's not referring to every sin that's in the Bible. It's referring to Th- these specific things if i sin as a pastor in the sense of i disqualify myself from the ministry i should get rebuked before all you know why because i sinned but do you understand while we just i just said i sinned it wasn't in the context of i broke any of god's laws no it was specific ones that will disqualify me does that does, are, are y'all following me all right some of you are looking like you might be a little bit lost But sometimes that's what the Bible's doing. Is it's just it's talking about some a specific sin or a specific type of sin. There are certain things that the Bible says are not to be once named among you as become as saints. So if we throw you out of the church for extortion, let's say, okay, we threw you out for sin, didn't we? But you can't, you shouldn't go say so fine, you threw me out for sin, but you know what? I mean your brother so-and so spit on the sidewalk and that's technically against the rules and so that's a sin. How come he's not getting thrown out of the church because he's a sinner too, but he didn't sin in the sense of violating something that will disqualify you from being uh, from being a church member. And so so you know we so we've got to understand it says in exodus thirty two verse thirty two Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, okay, and this was a specific sin, they had made that golden calf, they had done this great sin, so if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. So Moses never sinned against God? Uh, no. He was talking about a specific sin, wasn't he? So you always need to look at that in the Bible when it when a lot of times when it's talking about ceasing from sin He does not commit sin. It's not referring to all sins It's referring to something specific. It's maybe referring to a specific category Sometimes it is referring to all sins like we see in romans when it says for all have sin and come short of the glory of god Yes That encompasses all sins that that the bible mentions but Exodus 32, verse 33 is not. It is referring to something very specific. First Timothy 5:20. Uh, Timothy it's not talking about all sins that are out there. It's referring to specific sins because it's like sin. It, it's it, it's like another word we could use or uh, it's it, uh, it's like just breaking the rules, right? Breaking the rules. So if we're talking about breaking the rules to get into heaven. We've all broken the rules, haven't we? If we're talking about breaking the rules for being a pastor, then we've not all sinned. If we're talking about breaking the rules for getting thrown out of the church, then you know what? You've not sinned in in that sense. So hopefully I'm making myself clear on this. But, you know, I guess one other way I want to illustrate this is, you know, let's suppose we're playing a game of Uno, okay? All right, we've all probably played Uno before. And there's a rule, I don't think this rule is in UNO, but let's say there was a rule that if you cheat, you have to draw four cards, okay? So if you cheat, you have to draw four cards. And while playing the game, you know, uh, I cheated. I got to draw four cards. But now we're playing the next game. You say, well, since you've cheated before, you're a cheater, you got to draw four cards in this game. Well, uh, But I didn't cheat in this game. You know, or let's say, you know, now we're, you know, you know, uh, I cheated yesterday, but it was on skip and now we're playing Uno. You know, you can't, you can't make that rule. That's, that's a different game. And, you know, and so because I cheated on that other game, you're going to try to penalize me for this other game too that, you know, that's not how this works. And so sometimes in the Bible, when it's talking about sins, it's referring to sins in a certain category Uh, It's referring to specific sins. And just because you've done other things in some other area area of your life that is sin, you don't take that sin and then hold them accountable for something that's in a different category. And so I I say all that to show that a person can repent of their sin in the sense that they quit living their life devoted to the things of the flesh and they start living for God. You can repent of sin in the sense that I used to do this thing and I quit doing it. And therefore, I am not a sinner in that area anymore. And if you have, if you've, if you've used to have a, you know, a gambling problem and you've quit gambling, hey, okay, you repented of that sin. And you know what? I wouldn't call you a gambler. I, I would say you repented of that and therefore you are not that anymore, if you confess it to God, and you've and you've repented. Now, if you confess it to God and you keep on doing it, then we won't, you know, we won't say you repented of that sin. We will still call you that. But uh, what what people are doing a lot of times is, in order to, you know, just kind of go against this idea of repenting of sin or whatever, they're just kind of straw manning and then bringing up, you know, nobody can repent of all their sins. Well, I agree if you mean. Nobody can ever stop sinning completely. But I don't think that's what that person was talking about. Let's make sure that's what they're actually talking about first. If somebody gets up and they just get excited, they get saved, they get on fire for God, they change their life. They used to be a drunk. They used to do all these things. They used to do drugs. They used to give their flesh everything it wanted. And they have. They've just changed their life. They've repented of that. They're now in church. They're on fire for God. They're doing the best they can every day. And that person's like, you know, my life's been so much better since I repented of all my sins. <laughs> no, no, you didn't. No, no, I, I, I saw you lose your temper today. Yes, they did. Okay. Yes, we all mess up. Sometimes, but they clearly are on a new path, ladies and gentlemen. They clearly are are living for the Lord. They're doing the best that they can. Yes, in the eyes of a holy God, they still need grace. They're still gonna need forgiveness, but let's not get super ultra technical with people on this stuff. You know, let's cut people a little bit of slack. And so uh hopefully, you know, that all makes sense. And this concept really gonna be important too. When we get into some things next week, because we are after you get saved, you should ch- now try to change your life. And you know what? You can change your life. God's given us what we need to change our lives. He's given us his spirit and God expects there to be a difference and he has equipped us so there can be a difference. And so, uh, you know, and sometimes I like saying repenting of sins you know, for say, people do just to trigger the weirdos. You know, I, I, I don't know why. But again, nowhere, I'm sure people are listening real close. Just, you know, well, what, you know, but no, obviously none of these things are what save you. Faith in Christ saves you. But I dare you to read First and Second Peter and tell me we shouldn't repent of our sins after we get saved. And that it's not, and that it's not possible to do that. But uh, and but you know I'll probably get accused of teaching sinless perfection, you know. But again, flying monkeys. Just when you when you see people accuse me of that, just go watch Wizard of Oz. It'll be the exact same thing. You'll watch flying monkeys attacking a scarecrow, and all and 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 the people coming after me will have got sent by a green-faced lady with a pointed hat. Okay, spiritually, that's how they look. But no, that's not how they physically will look. Nobody looks like that. But seeing some close though. But verse so, uh, so as a saved per, or uh, verse five. So beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord jesus christ so as a saved person we should be growing we should be getting closer to god and this attitude of just get saved so i can avoid hell you know while still living wicked i mean obviously if you believe on christ you're going to go to you're going to go to heaven if you if you truly believe but you know what if you get saved just so you can go out of hell and you are still living your life for the flesh you're still in fornication you're still a drunkard you're still doing all those things that the rest of the world does we will throw you out of this church for being a sinner because you've not done anything you've not tried to be a partaker of the divine nature you're not even making an effort sometimes people mess up sometimes people they struggle they fall off the wagon and you know what we need to try to help those we that we who are strong ought to try to help those who are weak but if people just aren't even going to try to help no i got what i wanted i'm on my way to heaven well hey If you believed on Christ, you're on your way to heaven. But you know what? Stay out of here. We don't need you here. We don't need you, you know, uh, bringing your sin in this church because we want God to bless this church. And we want to be fruitful as a church. And this is another thing, too, that the work salvation people get wrong. They'll look at a lot of these things and act like, you know, if you mess up in these areas, you lose your salvation. No, you'll be unfruitful. You will not bear any fruit says in verse 9, But he that lacketh these, uh, lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So you need to remember God didn't clean you just so you could get dirty again. He wants you to stay clean. He purged you from your sins. He cleansed you. He gave you a righteous standing. You were a fornicator, but now you're not a fornicator. And God didn't clean you to ma- and make you not a fornicator so you could go fornicate again. That's not what he wants. He wants you to stay away from that. He wants you to stay clean. And thank God, if you mess up and you confess, he'll clean you up again. And you won't be that anymore, assuming you stop doing it. But you'll still be, And you'll still be saved through the whole thing, too. You'll still be saved through the whole thing, but you, know, you might get a good old-fashioned whooping... From God along the way, too. And in fact, I guarantee you will if you're saved. The Bible promises that. So we should strive to live a life that reflects our position that we have in Christ. Now, what are you trying to do, Pastor? Are you trying to be spiritual? I, I'm just I'm trying to live a life that reflects the position that God has given me. That, 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 that's what all of us ought to be trying to do. God has given us a righteous standing with Him. Let's try to be that way the best we can. And you know, and if, if you make an effort, you'll be you know, you'd be surprised how good we could you could do with this. Again, God gave you the Holy Spirit. We could all be a lot more righteous than we think. But, you know, we like to use you know the fact that, you know, well, we don't have to, and we can still go to heaven. It's like we like to use our flesh as an excuse to just give our flesh what we want. And that's why Peter is telling these people don't do that. No, don't do that. You And it's just sad how little of a desire people have to just live godly in in churches today. It really is a shame, and we need to try to motivate people. and that, And that's why Peter's writing this letter. He's trying to remind them this. He's trying to stir them up. So verse ten says, "Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall." Now this. It uses the word sure here, but this isn't a verse that the camp meeting people should be using to try to get the people, save people in their church to question their salvation all the time. And make sure you're saved. No. To make something sure, it means to make it steadfast or stable. Okay? If you're building a house, you know, you make the foundation sure right away in the beginning. That's the first thing you do. You don't know, say, so, well, I'll build the house and I'll take care of the foundation. I'll make it sure later. No, you do that first because you don't, you don't want that moving. And what a person should do when a person gets saved, you know, the first thing they ought to be trying to learn about is more about their salvation. Why? Just reassuring the fact that you've got it, reassuring the fact that you're saved, you're on your way to heaven, get these things nailed down, get it, and get them nailed down quick. And I believe this is, I believe this is something everyone needs to do. But it's something that we do right away. It's something we do first. It's something we do in the beginning. It's not something we can do later or something we should have to do every year or something like that. The 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 point of making something sure is so we don't have to worry about it later. You know, we you you put all that effort when you're building a house to keep everything level. You don't want it moving later, do you? So what you have to do in the beginning, you got to get that foundation steadfast and sure so it's not going to move. And a person said, I believe that they can be born again really fast after being exposed to the gospel. But that doesn't mean they're just all of a sudden going to know everything. The first thing they should do after getting saved is they should learn more about salvation. And you know what? Every time you learn more about salvation, you know what it does? It just makes you more sure and gives you more strength. Like we said in the beginning, it just just reinforces that. And sometimes we might need that just kind of Get some reinforcement, but this isn't something we should use to as an excuse. You know, this verse doesn't give us an excuse to confuse people on their salvation. And so the more you learn about the Bible, the more secure, the more sure you should be. Or, or, uh, and if, if my preaching makes you more confused, there's probably a problem. So if you're saved and my preaching's good, you're only going to feel more secure. So what does it mean to never fall? Because again, this is something too. People can just take. If you do these things, you'll never fall. Meaning, fall from grace, fall from salvation. That's proving lose. I love how people just take a verse. They'll take a term or a phrase that could mean a lot of different things, and they just tell you what it means with no context. Okay, what what does it mean to never fall? Well, verse eight. Says, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you do not grow if as a Christian, if you do not add these things to your life, the danger is you will be barren and unfruitful. That's that's the danger, that's where you'll fall. And if you do that, you're failing, folks. God wants us to bring forth fruit. And if you are just living a wicked life as a saved person, you are not going to bear fruit. A lot of people read these passages about bearing fruit and act like you're losing your salvation if you're not. Baby. No, you're just not bearing fruit. You're not going to get anybody else saved. You're, you're not going to do any good for anyone else. So if you fall into sin, if you fall into, sin, and I believe this is talking about falling into sin and lasciviousness, again, going back to your old ways. Peter is warning against that. He does not want these people that got saved to go back to their old ways. And if they fall, because they're not growing, and if you're not growing, you will eventually fall into sin and lasciviousness. And when you fall into sin and lasciviousness, you will be barren and you'll be unfruitful. So that's why we should always be growing. We will, if we always are growing, we will not fall into sin and lasciviousness that's what that's what this is talking about and you want to say when i say fall into sin and lasciviousness okay i mean when we talk about falling into sin it doesn't mean oh i stubbed my toe and i said a bad word i just fell into sin no falling into lasciviousness going back to living a life for the flesh that's what that's talking about so It's horrible for people to just isolate that verse and teach something like that. So verse 11, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yet I think it meet as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. So just like Peter before was sending them a reminder to keep on going... He's doing it again. You know, we need to be reminded of these things. Pastor Robin, why are you always preaching against sin? Because we always need reminded about it. All of us are just naturally going to want to go back into that lustful lifestyle, go back to lasciviousness. So we all need a good kick in the pants on a regular basis. And you know, I mean, Peter, they could have just been like, you know, Peter, you already told us this stuff in the last letter. Why are you doing it again? Well, because it's been a long time since that last letter. I'm just making sure y'all are still remembering this because it's not just naturally going to happen. And it's just crazy too. these people that act like, well, if you're truly saved, you know, you are going to persevere to the end in the sense of you're going to keep on living for God. If that's the case, then why did they spend so much time writing, telling people you need to be reminded to do this? Why did Paul tell people that you constantly affirm that they maintain good works You know why because we are not just naturally going to do this just because you're saved you're not just going to naturally do good works you've got to be reminded you've got to be motivated and that's one of the reasons we come to church so we can motivate each other because we're not going to do it by yourself we're not just going to naturally do it none of us are get out of church for very long and i promise you're, you're going back you're going back to the vomit we'll talk about that next week but Verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Now, what do you think he says when I'm going to put off this tabernacle? He said, I'm going to die. He said, Shortly, I'm going to die. Jesus showed me. Now I believe this is referring to what we see in John twenty one, eighteen, where it says, Verily, verily I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest with it, thou wouldst not. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. Now that's a little bit vague on what that means, but verse 19 makes it real clear. This faith he signified by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. So Jesus told Peter, you're going di- to be killed one of these days, and it's going to be against your will. You're going to be taken where you don't want to be taken, and, and you're going to die. You're going, to, you're going to be martyred. And, you know, it's very important that we understand, it's going to be important later, that Peter knew he was going to die before Jesus returned. And this matters because Peter is the one who showed us. It's the clearest in 2 Peter chapter 3. That's the best verse to indicate that it could be a long time before Jesus Christ would return. It's Peter That gives us that. I don't really see anything else in the Bible that gives any clue that it might be 2,000 years or something like that. 2 Peter 3 is just about it. And listen, I do not believe the Bible teaches imminency. I know they couldn't have been teaching imminency while Peter was still alive. Because Peter knew he was going to die before Jesus came back. But I do believe the Bible teaches expectancy. Okay, And we should always be expecting expectancy the return and we should all be believing that it could come in our lifetime. And I don't think there's any doubt that the apostles believed except for Peter that it, that Jesus could come back in their lifetime. Now, why is that? Well, because we're in the last days and I believe, you know, we're in the same position. I talked about this before that they were in Peter's day because nothing's changed prophetically, but at the same time, when it comes to the things that still need to come to pass, It's something that could definitely happen in someone's lifetime. In fact, I mean, you know, it could happen in a few years, according to what we believe. And I believe they thought the same thing. And so, obviously, I believe the Bible does teach us expectancy to be looking. But Peter is the only place I can find the Bible where it gives an indication it might be a long time before Jesus comes back. And it has been a long time, folks. Spent a long time. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Verse 15 says, Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. And I love bringing that, this passage up when talking to pre and say that the apostles all taught imminency. I was like, Not Peter. Peter didn't. Peter knew he was going to die. And they just start calling names after you show them stuff like that. It's really interesting. And then they send the flying monkeys. <laughs> It's, it's it's pretty it's pretty funny to watch and you start getting called all kinds of things kind of like straw men it's, it's pretty interesting so verse 16 says um but peter he knew we he wouldn't always be around to tell them these things and so he wanted them to have a written reminder he specifically meant, i wanted you to be reminded of these things after my decease after i'm dead and thank god we have this written reminder we're still using it today And it's very appropriate. We should be still be using it. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now keep this in mind, okay? What Peter and the apostles wrote about Jesus, they were eyewitness accounts, and these accounts agree together in a miraculous way. In a way that legally speaking is irrefutable proof that their testimony is true. Did you know we're capable of judging that? We're supposed to use two or three witnesses. And then if their witnesses agree together, then we can establish the fact that it's true. And did you know that the fact that we have multiple eyewitnesses, accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God considers that proof. Now the world and the atheists, they want to tell us it's not proof. Folks, it's proof. Okay eyewitness accounts count as proof. And when they agree, when you have multiple accounts that agree together, you have to accept it as truth. And we have that in the scriptures. And so people are accountable for that. And if people reject the truth of the resurrection of Christ, they are in disobedience to God and they will be held accountable for it because they should have believed it. Eyewitness accounts that agree together in a miraculous way There is no doubt Jesus rose from the dead. And that's a whole sermon we could preach there. We're not going to do that. But verse 17 says, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. You know who is there? Peter, James, and John. We got three witnesses, folks. They, we, these things are recorded in the Gospels. The, this is referring to what took place in the Mount of Transfiguration. It's proof that it happened. Folks, it's proof. Hey, listen, if I ever did some terrible thing, if I murdered somebody, the same clowns that try to act like the Bible is not true, if there were three people that witnessed me murder somebody, but they didn't have any video evidence, they didn't have their cell phones, they didn't get on video, they didn't take a picture... But if three people saw it and they testified against me and their witness agreed together, you know what all the people out there would say? All those atheists that all want to criticize us all the time? You know what they would all say? Pastor Tommy is a murderer and it was proven beyond any reasonable doubt. Oh, really? What's the proof? Three witnesses. Oh, those are just man's words. Oh, so now, you know, you know, now man's words matter. It, now man's words matter when it's about something that you want to hear. But it doesn't count when it's about the Bible. Isn't that interesting? It's, it just shows what frauds and what hypocrites these people are. And, and they, have, they, they, there's, they have no right, no reason to deny the resurrection. We have too many eyewitnesses. I mean, there were 500 at once that saw Jesus at one time. Well, that, that's, that's proof. So verse 19 says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. More importantly than Peter and the apostles' eyewitness account, we have the scriptures. That is also proof. We have God's word, this miraculous book. It's more credible than video evidence. The Bible is more, and folks, we should know more than ever that the Bible is more credible than video evidence. You see some of these deep fake videos they're doing? It's kind of scary. It's kind of scary what they're able to fake these days. And the Bible is more accurate. It is or more reliable than video evidence of something. Verse 20, Knowing this first that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. The Bible means the same thing for everyone. Certain Scriptures can't have a special... They can, ha- they can have a special place in your heart, but you know what? They can't have a special meaning. You don't get to make up your own meaning. For something in the Bible. If what the Bible means to you. Means something different for everyone else. Your meaning's wrong. It's not of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time. By the will of man. But holy men of God. Spake as they were moved. By the Holy Ghost. Special meaning. That people try to claim. That scripture has. You know that. that is always based on their own will. Well, you know, I want to do this thing, and I know it's against the Bible, but you know, the Lord showed me this one verse, and I, and th- this is what this means to me. No, the things that the writers of the Bible wrote, they were not things that were based on their will. That's the kind of stuff that we write, things that are based on our will. That's not that's not what our Bible is. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I mean, I, I had somebody just this week uh, that was like questioning. Because I I brought up the fact that Moses chose to suffer. He, he, uh, He accounted the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. And I said, Moses clearly believed in Christ. Oh, so did the writer of Hebrews talk to Moses and find that out from him? Listen, these guys didn't write things by their own will. Hey, okay. whoever wrote Hebrews wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. So, I, 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 yeah, I just, I couldn't believe it. It's just like, this is a Baptist pastor. Yes, this is a Baptist pastor that, that said that to me. Uh, you know, don't worry, he went and deleted a bunch of his tweets because I think he realized how stupid he got in that conversation. But I mean, literally, because I was, I was just trying to prove that everybody who got saved in the Old Testament got saved because of Jesus Christ. You wouldn't think you'd have to argue that with a Baptist pastor, but welcome to 2022. That's where we're at today. I mean, it's like, it's like you know, I, you understand that talking to atheists, but it's like, this is a Baptist preacher. He understands that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God told them what's to right. So they didn't have to talk to Moses. God talked to them. And God did talk to Moses. So, I mean, you know, Welcome to the Baptist Church of America. It's crazy. But special meaning that people try to claim uh, that Scripture is always based on their own will. That's not the Bible. Even the writers did not write their own ideas. And so the things that God had written for the churches, they are authoritative. And you know what? We are expected to live by these things. God has given us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the ability to do right. And when we refuse... To repent of our sins. These scriptures can tell us what to do. They are our boss. And when they tell us we need to stop doing something, God expects us to do it. And you know what? We expect you to do it. We expect people in this church to obey the scriptures. I don't think that's asking too much. I I, I really don't. And so, uh, when we don't, When we fail to do this, it puts us in direct disobedience to God. And you know what it's going to do? It's going to cause you to be unfruitful. And folks, we didn't get you. We don't we don't have these services every week to just get you into heaven. Hopefully you've already got that down and taken care of. But we do have these services hopefully to help you be fruitful so we can get more people into heaven. And if you're just living wicked, if you're just living according to the flesh, you're not going to get that done. You're not going to accomplish anything. You're going to rub off on the rest of us. You're going to make the rest of us barren and unfruitful too. So we're always going to preach hard against sin, all the time. And we're going to we're going to name the sins, and we're going to get called keep getting called legalists, folks, because of it. And and uh, folks, they were doing that back in that day. I got I got stuff coming on, on that too. That's like, wow, they had trendies back in the Bible days too. They've always been around, and it's 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 just. There is no new thing, folks. It just gets repackaged, you know, every generation. That's all there is to it. We're not dealing with anything new. In reality, we think because of technology, so much has changed. But in reality, nothing has changed. We're still in the last days. We are still in the same era, age, whatever you want to call it, as Peter was in his day. And that's why what he says is so relevant to us today. And we ought to obey it, just like those people should have, that directly received that letter. So, with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a help to everybody, and I pray it'll help all of us, dear God, to just take these things serious. Help us to uh, remember that, Lord, we are are under the authority uh, of this book. We are going to be held accountable for it, and Lord, I pray you'll help us to... Uh, work on getting sins out of our life help us to work on growing help us not to just get satisfied with where we're at and then become stagnant and back and backslide lord but we'll just keep on moving forward and i pray you help all of us to just be more fruitful so we can see more people saved in your name we pray amen